invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We are going to read the first four verses. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seems seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Pray with me. Lord, no one needs to hear from me tonight. We need to hear from you. So I ask that you would speak. That the Spirit who is already working would take the words we have just read and would write them on our hearts. I ask that my words would fall to the ground blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, let your words remain and may they change us. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Um, Tonight we are starting a series on the book of Luke and Acts that is going to take us at least two to three years um, to get through. Um, We're studying Luke and Acts together because um, Luke intends them to be seen as a single unit. And um, if you study church history, you know that when those books traveled around, they always traveled around together. They are meant to study together. They both shed light one on the other. Luke writing them both. Now, two to three years um, seems like a really long time to, to dedicate to studying a book or two books. But it's really not... Um, considering the amount of material we have to study. There's 52 chapters. Um, One of my favorite pastors, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, it took him 13 years to go through the book of Romans. 13 years. And I calculated it. I had a little extra time on my hand. Um, At that pace, it would have taken him 966 years to preach through the entire Bible. Um, Now, given my health record... Uh, my accident proneness and things like that. We're, we're not going to go at that pace. Martin Lloyd-Jones once preached an entire sermon, not on a word, but on one letter, O. And he preached for 45 minutes on the letter O. I, I can't go that slow. I, I, I just can't do it. Um, I don't know how many years it would take if we did that. But we are going to try to tackle this huge task before us um, in two or three years, maybe a little bit longer. And so we need to ask a couple of questions. One, why? I mean, why are we going to do this? Why go through studying a book, you know, verse by verse, walking through this? And also, um, not just why study it, but why Luke? I mean, there's a lot of other books, 65 other books to be exact. Why Why are we taking time to study Luke? And so let me answer the first one. Why are we going through this? Going through a book of the Bible... Line by line, verse by verse, it takes a whole lot of time. It takes a whole lot of energy. And so it needs to be something that we are committed to do. Um, If any of you have read our church vision statement, which I'm pointing in that direction, I realize I didn't set it out. Pretend with me. 
Um, If any of you have read our church vision statement, you'll notice it says that we are committed as a church to expositional preaching. And although we might study a topic from time to time, we're normally going to be going through a text. And we believe this to be very important. This means that it is never my task as a preacher to tell you what I think or what I think other people think. My job as a preacher is to always point you to a text. And not to come up with some great new idea. My ideas are not that good. And so you don't need to listen to them. I was trying to think through some of my ideas. And, and uh, it, one came to me last week that I did had an idea I had when I was a child. I climbed up on the back of our sofa and I jumped off and I held my, my feet behind me. Because I wanted to know what it felt like. And it was a bad idea. And, and the, re- the reason I re- remember this is because Natalie did the same thing last week. And we both came to the same conclusion, that it hurts. I, I had another one of my great bad ideas last night during the storms. Tornado sirens going all off everywhere. And so I'm trying to tell Caroline and Natalie they don't have to be scared. I'm trying to tell them stories. And so I say, well, you know, actually a long time ago in London, they used to they used to do sirens, not because of tornadoes, but because of bombers were coming. <laughs> bombers would come, and so my kids were terrified. Now they're thinking, bombers are coming. And I said, no, 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 that's not for bombers. You know, we don't get attacked here in the U.S. So, well, we did get attacked like eight years ago in the U.S., but it wasn't a bomber. It was somebody driving a plane straight into a building. Have any of y'all been to our house? My, uh, you know we're in the direct path of the Birmingham airport that every plane flies 100 feet over our house. And so now, yes, they're not thinking of tornadoes, but every jet that is now coming towards our house, they're thinking we're at war. And I'm like, bad idea, bad idea. And so, but at least they're not thinking of tornadoes. Um, but, but you don't need to listen to, I, I occasionally have a good idea, but it's not scripture. It pales when we go through line by line and verse by verse. And my task is to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, word by word, and point you to the text. I don't want you to give a rip of what I'm talking about if it's just me. And that includes right now. You should be thinking, well, Joel, that's great. You just told some great stories about your kids, how you're an idiot, and all that thing. But point me to the Bible. You're just telling us how great expositional preaching is, but where's the text? Where is it? And I had a hard time landing because it's all over the Bible. So I thought I would do as broad of a shot as I could. The Apostle Paul, in every letter, he begins his letter with grace to you. Every letter, you look at it, grace to you. Which you think is not a big deal because you don't think much when you write like dear so-and-so. But you're not an apostle, you're just a person. This is Paul, he puts great thought in it, it's intentional. Grace to you. He also ends every letter with grace be with you. So he starts every letter with grace to you, and he ends every letter with grace be with you. Now, uh, John Piper, a couple weeks ago, he pointed that, that last part out. He said it only took him 50 years of being a Christian, and finally for it to dawn on him that Paul ends every letter with grace with you. Paul doesn't casually say these words. And what you need to do is picture the scene. Paul sends a letter, and it goes to the church. And this is the authoritative word of God because this is from the apostle. And he holds it up, and the reader says, grace to you. And he reads the letter. 
And after they've finished reading it, and they're chewing on it, and they're thinking on it, he says, now grace, now go with you. He's talking about the grace given through the word of God expounded. The word of God taught. Every letter. Somebody yell out a, a book of Paul, a letter of Paul. Yell it out. Somebody. It's not that hard. Philemon, great. Turn, turn to Philemon. I was going to make you turn there. Turn to Philemon. Where the heck is Philemon? Everybody's turning. Yeah. And you read right before. I'm in Jude. All right. Smallest book in the Bible. I had to choose it. Look at this. Verse 3. Grace to you. Verse 25. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Go back a book. Go to Titus. Preaching of the rise of Christ. Say go da, 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 da. I'm trying to find the grace in the int- verse four to Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Look at the end of it. Grace be with you all. Go back a book. Go to Second Timothy. Verse 2, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. How does it end? The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Go to 1 Timothy. Verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God. The end of it. Grace be with you. And so Paul, he's saying every letter, every time they're reading this, grace is being communicated to you. Because of the Word of God. And now as you take this in and you chew on this, he's saying, now may that grace that has has been given you, may it go with you. May it go with you. But grace, life-changing, sustaining grace comes through the expounding and the reading of the Word of God. Paul understood this. He understood this crystal clear. That's why we don't need to do topical studies as our meat and potatoes at a church. You don't need to do that because there's there's a great danger in that. Because a topic is something I choose and then I go try to find the text. But if you go through expositional preaching, you work through it, God raises the topics He needs to address. And it's topics that I would never even normally think of. And it's grace. Life-sustaining grace to you. Paul told a bunch of elders in Ephesus in Acts 20 as he was leaving them for the final time, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel. The only way you can declare the whole counsel is if you'd study whole books. Not just hit whatever topics suit your fancy. You need to always be going back to the text. There's a lot of preaching helps that are out there. It's amazing the stuff that I get in the mail, and it's all topical. There's nothing really expositional, and, and uh, you, I will get something in the mail that has a sermon, sermon titles, sermon outlines, all the PowerPoints, all the artwork, all the songs, everything prepackaged, and usually it has to do with some TV show or some movie. You know, when Lost came out, I mean, they're like a you know, Christian publisher's dream. They're like, Lost, okay. I mean, within two weeks, I'm getting stuff in the mail that says, here's your series, Lost. Here's your uh, first sermon title. It's uh, Abandoned, you know, or Stranded. And it comes with all, the, all of that, and it's so topical. And, and some of it's biblical. 
I'm not saying that topical studies is not biblical. But you're going to create your own canon. You're you're, you're going to create exactly whatever you want to study. God doesn't get to raise his topics. That's why expositional preaching is so important. I mean, I, I did college ministry for about 10 years, and almost every single college Bible study is about relationships. It's relationships, and it's relationships, and it's always topical. And then they go, you know, it's about how to date, how to date, how to date. And then they get married, and they're like, what do we do? You know, my whole life, I always thought the Bible was just about dating. <laughs> you got to teach people to read the Bible. That's how grace is communicated, is when we get into this book verse by verse, word by word. So then if I were to walk out of here and get hit by a bus, or a tornado were to kill me or whatever, you guys know what to do. I don't have to worry about the church. You don't have to be thinking, gosh, who's gonna, what, what are we going to do? You go to the Word. You go there. That's where our roots are. Luke thinks this extremely important. He understands this. In Acts chapter 17, Paul preached to a bunch of Bereans. A lot of you know this story. Let me just read to you 17 verse 10. It says, um, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So the Bereans, they hear Paul preach, and they say, that's great, Paul. You know, we, we, we receive this, but we're not believing it until we see it here. We're not, we're not believing it until we actually see it in the text. We don't give really a rip what you say. You pointed us in this direction. Now we've got to see it for ourselves, and that's what I want us for a church to do. You guys should not give a rip what I say. Anything that you think is really profound, go, well, that's really profound. That's great. Now let me see it here. Let me see it here. This is the only place where life-changing and sustaining grace comes from. So I need to always be pointing to the text. All right, that was expositional preaching. Now, why are we going to look at Luke? Um, Why look at Luke and not the other Gospels or the other 65 books? Um, Well, for one, Jesus tells us in the Great Commission in Matthew 28... That we are to teach people to observe all that I have commanded you. To teach all that I have commanded you. Well, the Gospel of Luke has more teachings of Jesus than any other book in the Bible. And so it's natural that we would turn there. It's not my favorite Gospel. Um, if you're allowed to have favorite, and I hope that's not you know, heretical. Um, my, my favorite is Mark. I love Mark, probably because it's short and I can read it. Um, But if you read through Luke, you're going to get 60% of Mark verbatim almost. It's in there. It's a good gospel for us to study. And there's all these unique stories that are just found in Luke. There's the long birth narratives that are in there. There's the story of Jesus as a child. The, The parable of the rich man and Lazarus. There's the road to Emmaus. There's the penitent thief on the cross. There's the prodigal son. All of those are unique to Luke. Something I'm looking forward to studying. Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other writer. More than Paul. 
There are also some things about Luke that I just I love. I think it's going to be great for our church to hear. Um, he's often called the theologian of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit appears in the Gospel of Luke more often than any of the other Gospels. He is always there, especially in Acts later, but all throughout Luke as well. And the first couple of chapters of Luke actually read like a musical. You know, go through, read, read Luke this week. It's like a musical. Everybody's singing. Everybody's praying. Everybody's doing poetry. I mean, it's just great. It's, it's full of joy. And sure enough, Luke uses the word rejoice more than all the other Gospels put together. He's constantly saying, look at this. Rejoice. Sing at what God's doing. Through his Holy Spirit, may you have joy. It's all throughout there. I want that for our church. I want that. The other reasons we're going to study Luke can be found in these first few verses, so let me reread them. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word had de- have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Let's work backwards. Luke gives us the person, the name of the person that he wrote to, Theophilus, which I don't think is metaphorical. It does mean lover of God, but I think this is a real person. Because he uses the title, Most Excellent Theophilus. And this is a term that Luke uses um, several times throughout Luke and Acts. To, um, it's an official title for a Roman official. They are most excellent so-and-so. And so this is um, a Roman official. It, it was also common when people would write that they would have a patron who would pay for them to write a book. You know, Luke is doing a lot of traveling. It's taking him a whole lot of time. He's got to have somebody to finance this, and it is likely Theophilus because people would dedicate a book to their patron who is financing everything. So Theophilus, we know he's a Roman official. He's a Gentile. He's likely a believer. He just wants certainty concerning the things he, he has been taught. And so Luke writes this gospel in order to give this man certainty. And so the audience for Luke is an educated, intelligent, Gentile convert who is somehow removed from the events but has come to believe, which I think describes us pretty well here. You could say that Luke, in many ways, is written for people like us. Intelligence debatable for for some of us. We're educated. And you can see this throughout um, Luke and Acts, that this is his aim. Now, let's look exactly how Luke goes about writing this gospel. It says he does so with careful research. He's carefully examining these things. He is following all things closely to present an orderly, and that doesn't mean chronological, but he is ordering events so we can really understand them. He's an investigator. Luke went and he investigated things. Um, he, he heard, okay, you know, we know Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Well, why is it that Luke has a much more detailed birth narrative than any of the other Gospels? 
It's because Luke said, okay, I'm going to Bethlehem. I'm going to investigate this. He goes and he finds people. Any eyewitnesses? Shepherds. Okay. And so shepherds, he goes and, and he likely interviews them. And that's why we have the story about shepherds. And we have angels is because he's investigating. We don't know the whole story about Mary. He likely went to Mary. Okay, it says that you, uh, you know, you had, you had the child of God. We believe that. How'd that happen? Luke writes it. He interviews her. He probably asked her, now I know it's got to be awkward. Raising the Son of God, slightly awkward, a little intimidating. You know, did you teach him? Did he teach you? What, what was it like? And so she tells him, it was awkward. You know, there, I mean, when he was 12, we went to the temple. He just disappeared. We, I wanted to be mad at him, but yet here he is teaching in the temple. What am I to do? Do I yell at the Son of God? You know, I, I mean, we get those stories here. He investigated carefully. He followed every lead. He also says that he looked at the eyewitnesses. Um, this gospel was written very early. Um, eyewitnesses were still alive that remember Jesus. It's probably one of the reasons that Luke felt an urgency to write things down. People actually preferred oral traditions. This is probably written between 60 and 70 A.D. when there was the Jewish wars going on and the communities were being decimated. Witnesses were starting to be killed. And so Luke probably thought it very important. I need to go ahead and record this stuff now. We actually need to put this to paper before the oral testimony is lost forever. But he goes after these eyewitnesses. Now, if, if I told you guys that this past you know, Saturday... Um, I went up to the fourth floor of my office, and I jumped off, and I just started flying around Birmingham. And I'm telling you this fanciful story, and I said, but, but Dwight saw it all. Dwight, he was there, he saw it all. What's the first thing you're going to do? Beeline it to Dwight, ask what I was smoking or, or whatever it was, but, but I can't make up a story when there's an eyewitness that is still living. I'd have to kill Dwight and then tell the story. It's the only way. But here you have these witnesses are around. Luke can't make the claim unless it's so. They know who these people are, and he's giving an accurate, detailed account of the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is not like King Arthur that can't be verified. Final reason we're studying Luke. Got to wind up here. Short introduction. Um, it's simply because I like Luke. He's a stud. Uh, any of you guys have man crushes on somebody? You know, everybody's looking at their shoes right now. It's like, <laughs> this is getting awkward. I got a man crush on Bono. I'm not ashamed. Um, the guy's cool. There's no denying that. It's, it's not subjective. It's an objective fact. And uh, I got a man crush. I also got a man crush on Luke. And I want you guys... To all get a man crush on Luke. He's worth it. He, he's mentioned several times in Scripture. Colossians 4, Paul calls Luke the beloved physician. And Philemon, which we all had a hard time finding. Thank you, Benjamin Smith. Paul calls him a fellow worker, which he certainly was. Um, he was with Paul for much of Paul's missionary journeys. Um, when you get to the book of Acts, you're going to start noticing that it switches to first person instead of third person. It's we traveled here. We did this. We experienced this. Luke is with Paul. 
He was a fellow worker. My favorite reference to Luke is found in Paul's last letter in 2 Timothy. Um, It's at the end of his life. um, And it's at the end of the letter as well. Paul writes this and he says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. After a lifetime of service to the Lord, at the end of Paul's life, there is nobody except. In verse 11 he says, Luke alone is with me. Everybody left him except Luke. I mean, what a comfort. I mean, Paul has been through war. You know how bad that guy had to hurt all the beatings, everything he had, and now he's in his old age, and to have the beloved physician next to him during all that? I mean, what a comfort. But Luke was a stud. He had incredible faith, and I want us to have faith like that. Faith that is so strong that no matter what comes along, we're going to stand firm. A faith that remains when everybody else has fallen away. We still have faith. And that's why we're going to study Luke, so that we might have certainty concerning the things that we are taught, that we might have a faith that is unshakable. I love to think in that, those last moments in Paul's life, you have Paul and you have Luke, who wrote almost all the New Testament. Mark later joins them. So you have the writer of the Gospel of Mark. Peter later comes there. Um, Peter and Paul were in prison together at the very end. I mean, you have those four people there who wrote almost the entire New Testament. It just makes me wonder what they were talking about at this time. But you have Luke only who remained. May we have faith like him. Pray with me. Lord, I hated having to do such a short introduction to such a long, great book but may it sink in. May we have certainty through your Spirit as we study this book. May we have certainty concerning the things that we are taught so that we will be a rock immovable. So the Gospel will be real to us. I ask that you would make that so. In the name of Jesus, amen.